Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio. Brought to you by OnPay, Atlanta's new standard in payroll. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Atlanta Business Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today on the show, we have Alex Reffitt with East Paces Group. Welcome, Alex. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us a little bit about East Paces Group. How are you serving folks? Yeah, yeah. So we are uh, we're an independent wealth management firm. So we're uh, we're primarily focused on helping people figure out where to put their money, which is a, a constant challenge in the in the world we're living in. So, uh, what's your backstory? How'd you get involved in uh, being a financial advisor? So I was one of the, I guess you can say, the lucky ones or unlucky ones that always knew it's what I wanted to do. I uh, figured it out pretty early on when I was in college, and um, you know, taking some pretty technical uh, derivatives classes, and uh, you know, with options trading and things like that, and um, you know, kind of as a kid wanted to always had the dream of going up to Wall Street, and then I heard back from a few people that lived that life, and it wasn't wasn't all the glamour it, it seemed to be. So uh, I just wanted something that was really I felt like you, my skill set was actually going to help people and, and have some sort of uh, intrinsic value to it. So um, I, I kind of discovered the world of wealth management, and uh, it's been on a, a one-track road ever since. You know, I got my, my licenses while I was still in college, and I uh, got some of my first clients actually while I was still in college, and um, and always was with an independent firm. You know, never went with the big wirehouses, which was, I guess, I'm finding out pretty unique and, and, and added its challenges for sure, but but gave me a different look into what the industry could look like going forward. Now, can you explain to the listener the difference between um, maybe some of these larger firms that you see on, uh, you know, stadiums or on commercials and then an independent firm? Because not every financial advisor or wealth management is like, you know, picking stocks or picking investment. They're kind of salespeople that are that other people are kind of doing that kind of work, the the choosing of what where the investments uh, go. No doubt, um, you know, the, if anyone is uh, <laughs> thinking that their their advisor is operating on an, on an island, uh, well, a if they are, that's probably something to be concerned about. But um, I, for the most part, you're exactly right. You know, the the advisors, especially in the large kind of household name, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, stadium branded type banks, are um, are really focused on sales. I mean, they, they're they're, they're They've got their client relationships and their people, but what they're doing is they're they're selling their their firm's product to their client, um, and that can you know obviously has there's a wide variety of people out there, <laughs> a wide variety of ethical uh, um, disparities between individuals. So you know the experience may be, be greatly different. You can have a great financial advisor at, at a at a large bank, but um, there's just a lot of layers and, and mess with that that um, is not really something that I felt like was necessary. And I, I guess that's kind of the core of why I believe in the independent space is because, you know, whether or not, you know, some of those things can be good or bad if used correctly is is, is up for possible argument. But what's I don't think up for argument is what's necessary to to help a client manage their money is much, much simpler and more straightforward um, than all the 
complexity of the products the big banks try to try to add to the mix. Now, can you talk a little bit about your vision uh, by becoming uh, independent and owning your own firm rather than kind of be part of these larger institutional um, entities? What were you kind of trying to accomplish and what did you see that was possible? Sure. Uh, Well, there's, you know, when you look at what clients need, um, you know, what the kind of the basics of a a wealth management firm, what they need to provide the clients. um, One is portfolio management. You know, they've got to figure out where where to actually invest the money, what makes sense, you know, have a have a team that is everything from research to implementation of, of, of just seeing what's out there in the world and, and what we need to be participating in and what we need to be staying away from. So um, you got the investment component and then you have the planning component. You know, you want to figure out, you know, yeah, you can invest in um, a, a great portfolio that, that runs out the years, but if you don't have a plan for how you're going to spend your money, you know, if you, whether it's, you know, say, a business liquidity event where you're selling the company that was your cash flow for years, and now you've got a lump sum and you got to figure out how much to take every year, or, or Social Security planning, or, you know, just a general, I uh, saved in a 401k for, you know, three, four decades, and now I'm going to spend that money that I saved. Uh, there's a, a lot of complexity that comes to that planning. So, you know, having those two things really buttoned up and dialed in um, was, is the core of, you know, what we needed to create, you know, an investment process, an investment management process, and then a financial planning process. So, um, you know, fortunately it, it, it kind of worked out well with my two partners, each are kind of experts in, in those individual realms. So it, it created a great team to, to kick off the company uh, and be able to offer that. But, but kind of looking forward, um, you know, my, the reason I believe the independent space is so important for that is, you know, when you talk, take the investment management process, for instance, I mean, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? You know, is it, if, if is it the best asset allocation with the lowest possible cost, um, which is what I believe is best? Um, or, you know, do you want to take the, the strategy that many others have taken in the past of, you know, layering funds, uh, you know, funds of funds sometimes uh, to try to get the most possible performance out, but just, you know, adding a lot of fees to the bottom line for that client in, in ways that they may not even see or understand. Um, and that's, that's what I was definitely trying to avoid, expensive um, you know, kind of mutual fund type strategies that were, were kind of so commonplace. Um, and I was also trying to avoid, you know, proprietary strategies, you know, we don't have any of our own funds here. So that really, you know, allows us to organically look out at the world and say, what's best for our clients and just go find it as opposed to trying to sell anything of our own. I mean, we, we don't have any funds of our own. It's just, we're kind of looking at what, what's out there and the tens of thousands of options that are out there and what's the most bang for the buck. Now, because there are so many options out there, how do you kind of create a portfolio that makes sense um, for like an individual? Because everybody has their own risk tolerance, their own goals. And some people are in an accumulating stage. Some people are in a deaccumulating stage. How do you kind of cater to the individuality that every client probably desires, at least? Maybe that's not um, kind of reasonable, but maybe that, but that is what they desire, something that is customized to their unique situation. 
Sure. No, that, that's a great question. I'd, I'd say it's probably one of the most common ones too. And, and what I've always uh, kind of pushed back on a little bit is, you know, everybody is different, but in a lot of ways, people are the same, you know, that, that's where I think people have a, maybe a, uh, a bit of a um, misunderstanding of, you know, their own anecdotal experience and thinking that it's very unique. I mean, in reality, most people do want a lot of the same things. They want to, they want to retire with enough money to be able to live the life they've been living without having to stress about running out of money. I mean, that's the basic objective. Um, you know, the people that have, you know, a lot of similar and business owners, you know, that are looking to have some liquidity event, sell their business, you know, with that lump sum, they got to replace the income they've been getting. So there are similarities, but you're totally right that there's different phases of life and different temperaments as well. I mean, that's, that's the, really the places where people differ is you've got different age groups and, and phases in life. And then you've got different emotional temperaments for how much you can weather risk. So those we definitely take into to play. And when we're figuring out how to invest a client's money, um, we're, we're the, the main thing that I consider, I think is probably 90% of the objective is their, their, their time horizon. You know, they're, the, the period that they're investing and the purpose that they're investing for, you know, if they're 30 years old and they're, you know, their life doesn't always go to plan, but you know, if it does, you're kind of thinking, saving for 30 or so years um, to accumulate and then distribute that money. The, the next 30 years of your life, then you certainly want to invest in a portfolio that will grow to meet those needs, um, which would be very different from the, the 70 year old who has, you know, money beyond their needs and just wants to preserve it, not, not wake up in the middle of the night worried about what the market's doing. Um, and, and just has a different, both, both, uh, financial need and emotional need. So, but, but in general, I think people are more similar than they, they think, you know, we've got a, you know, most of our clients that are in say the 30 to 35 range are, are pretty similar in what they're trying to accomplish. So although there may be some nuances to the way we invest their money, um, you know, one may have a legacy holding in a, in a stock their, their, their parent bought them 20 years ago, they want to hang on to or something like that. Uh, but, but philosophically, you know, most 30 to 35 year olds, we, we would have a similar portfolio for, and most 70 to 75 year olds, we'd have a somewhat similar strategy, but the, you know, the, the disparities at that point are usually just based off their temperament. If some people are very, very risk averse and others are, are not so. Now, when it comes to um, the risk in any investment, how do you manage that? Because a lot of people might say they're, you know, I'm risk averse, but, you know, when the market punches you in the face, uh, then, you know, that becomes a, a true <laughs> true marker. You know, they yeah. can say I'm risk averse, but, you know, when the market tanks, are you getting a call from them saying what's going on, you know? that they may not be as risk averse as they, as they uh, think they are. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it. I mean, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't even know what I can add to that. Cause you, you said that perfectly. I mean, there's a, um, but you know, a lot of what we do as well as behavioral counseling. I mean, I've known that's kind of been an industry, <laughs> an industry term that's popped up over the past, uh, you know, five to 10 years. But, but truly, I mean, you're trying to educate clients because th what their understanding of risk and what the realities of risk are, are a lot of times different because uh, there are many types of risk. You know, that's what people think is just risk. <laughs> they, they just call it one thing, um, but it's really, really subdivided. I mean, the, there's, 
all types of risk. And just kind of the simple example is, you know, when you talk about market risk, which is what they're usually kind of referring to is what's the risk of the market going down. And they'll say, when losing all your money, <laughs> you know, it's like an 0809, which is what a, the great, you know, recession of our, of our generation, um, you know, if, what did it take to lose money in that environment? Because, you know, the market's, <laughs> you know, a, twofold its peak before that even happened. Um, so it's, it's not as if, you know, if you, if you didn't have to take money out and you were properly positioned, you know, so many people tell me they lost a bunch of money in 08, 09. And, and I always try to ask them why, you know, why did you lose money? And sometimes it's an awful situation. You know, they, they got sick or, you know, I've heard some horror stories of, you know, I had to sell the house and, you know, I had a family issue and it was just horrible timing. I mean, of course that you know, lost my job. I didn't expect to not have a job for two, three, four years. I mean, there's obviously terrible stories, but if, if for the most part, if you, if you plan for the worst of times, you get through those things and you don't, your, your portfolio goes down. But when, when you're talking about risk, it's just important to figure out what risk is because is your risk losing money or, or is the risk needing to spend money when the market's in a correction? Cause they're not the same thing. You know, if you talk about, you know, what, what are the odds that during a, a market recession that a company like, you know, Apple or Delta or, um, or, or, um, you know, just a big house Procter and Gamble, you know, something like that. I mean, what are, what are the chances that they're going to have some negative effects in a, in a broad market correction? I mean, they're pretty high, but what's your chance of losing all of your money in that investment? I mean, that's a much different, I'm not saying that's a, the answer is zero, but, a, but what, that's a much different answer. So, um, it's just important to, when people think of risk, um, I, I really try to coach them in understanding, you know, what, what the risk is. And the only risk I think people need to worry about is, is running out of money by having a, a bad financial plan. Right. And I think that that's one of the challenges in your work and in this industry as a whole is they don't ring a bell when the market's at a high, they don't ring a bell when the market's at a low, and they don't ring a bell when your time is up on this planet. You know, these are a lot of unknowns and there's a lot of variables and it's, you know, a for the lay person who isn't like you're, you live in this world every day, you can see historical trends and you understand the history of the market and the American economy and things like that. And then it there, those you feel comfortable in that history and knowledge. Whereas a lay person, I think those are overwhelming unknowns and it's hard to plan when there's a lot that's out of your control. That's, that's true. And it's interesting too, um, you know, what certain people respond to, you know, there's a, uh, you know, you take, say COVID um, last year. Um, I mean, that, a lot of people don't realize because I mean, it, it happened so quickly, but that was the sharpest market drop in history. <laughs> I mean, you throw the great depression in the twenties, 2008, 2009, nothing even came close to that. I think it was 37% or so within six weeks. I mean, that was just an insanely quick and uh, market drop, but people, I feel like for the most part understood why it was happening. Um, and, and surprisingly, you know, very few clients really negatively responded or got very concerned about that. Um, you know, cause for the most part, you got to think of what people are thinking about, you know, they're thinking about, you know, they're not able to go into work and their kids aren't, can't go into school and new mask mandates and quarantines. And, you know, that's where their head's at. They're not thinking about their 401k um, just because 
what they're dealing with in front of them is so much kind of more more consuming. So it's been interesting to see. And then at the same time, you know, when uh, when nothing's really going on and everything's cruising along, but the Fed hikes interest rates a little bit and the market responds negatively to it, you'll get more calls about that than COVID. So, um, you know, it's interesting to see what people respond to, but it's, it's usually based out of emotion. Um, but, but you're totally right. I mean, if you live in the industry, you see this day to day, you're staring at it, you know, kind of have a general grasp of why things are happening and what's normal and what's not. It's a little bit easier to digest than just getting a statement in the mail that, uh, <laughs> or some money looks like it, it evaporated. Yeah. I think that, um, it's interesting. I think from a generational standpoint, <clears throat> like my parents lived through the great depression and that left a mark, obviously, um, you know, people that you mentioned 2008, that left a mark. COVID's going to leave a mark. But the people who are investing nowadays, I think, are lulled into this uh, bull market that's been going on for so long. I don't know if they have the memory or the knowledge of history of the mark that the Great Depression left, where you're talking about, you know, kind of lost decades of pain when it comes to finances and they're in a kind of mental state of this is, you know, it's always trending up, you know, (laughs) it's everything's going to be good. And, you know, it's just a matter of, Oh, Oh, that's a blip, you know, but when the market dropped, like you said, that, that dramatically over that period of time, I think inherently people were optimistic and they were like, Oh, this will, this is just going to bounce back. It's obvious it's COVID and this is going to go away shortly. And, um, I just don't know how uh, resilient we're going to be if, if something more dramatic happens. No, you're you're absolutely right, and and that's you know you you said you said something that I it, it's something I agree with, and that I think people um, they just misinterpret a lot of times. You said you know these these certain times of you know in history where things have been really tough and haven't. Um, you know, markets have gone sideways or, or, you know, had these recessionary periods that have been really tough on people, you know, left a mark and um, it does leave a mark. But but my, uh, I just urge people to, for that mark to be not a, not a reminder of fear, but to be a lesson, you know, Uh, you know, there's lessons to be learned from, from things that happen. And And the biggest lesson is, is not to prevent it from happening in the future again, because you can't do that. I mean, there's no way to for an individual to prevent a recession from occurring in the future. I mean, we're going to see those. <laughs> I don't know what's going to cause them, but something's going to cause you know the next five recessions over the next however many years uh, you know in our lifetime. Um, but but there are lessons to be learned in the context of how do you build something that's resilient to where you don't have to you know, sell the aggressive parts of your portfolio, for instance, in a down market, you know, there, there are ways to create strategies that are, that are representative of, of what could go wrong. Um, you know, it's, there's not a, you know, nobody has a crystal ball to perfectly predict exactly the best way to hedge a future <laughs> volatile period, but, but there are sensible approaches that, that, and that's really the core of what we do in trying to figure out, okay, you know, where, where are the risks to you personally? Like, what are what are you worried about? You know, what period? How long of a of a of a lengthened recession could we survive if markets really really didn't cooperate? You know, how many years do you need to feel comfortable with? You know, is it three years? Is it five years? Is it ten years? And then we can build a portfolio that 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 has that in it. You know, <laughs> something where if you go through a ten year recession, you know, you've got a bucket to draw your needs out for ten years, and then the rest. 
you know, unless you think the recession is going to last longer than a decade, we can we can have a little bit more of a, a growth strategy to it. Um, so, I mean, everybody's different in that regard, but. Um, you know, I just I urge people to, for that to be a lesson learned. You know, when in 08, which was the biggest recession of, you know, our, our modern lifetimes for all of these generations. I mean, I was I was stunning finance during that time, um, you know, and there were people that obviously were close to retirement during that time. But that's the biggest example. How many years did it take to recover from that? Now, the market, I mean, um, you know, it's about five years. Um, so you know, let, let that be a lesson. You know, if that happens again, have six years to, to where, and then you should be able to sleep at night. Right. Well, I think this is why it's so important to find a financial advisor to partner with, because as a lay person, you just can't, it's hard enough to live life and your own life with your own worries and your own business, your own challenges, and then to layer this on top of it, this this is a full-time job, and I think it requires a trusted advisor, a financial advisor, to help you through this because you need someone watching your back, and, and that's why I think it's critically important to have a partner like this on your team because the lay person, unless this is all they're doing 24-7, is, is going to have a hard time navigating the rough waters when they come. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And, and uh, just to add to that as well, I think taking the emotion out of it is one thing that, that helps. I mean, it, it's not just a partner that's doing it full time, which is obviously has its value and, uh, you know, strategically speaking, and hopefully has a huge benefit on that level. But, but just someone who isn't <laughs> looking at their money like their nest egg and, and overly protective of it, um, you know, to a degree that can become a little bit irrational. And, and that goes for us, too. I mean, I much prefer personally other people to, and I know the industry well, I still like, uh, you know, bouncing ideas off my partners for my own personal money, because, you know, you can just, you have this weird, um, you know, the, this is humans, we have this defensiveness and this protectiveness to, to, to our money naturally, which isn't a bad thing, but um, in, in certain cases, when times get tough and decisions become tough, it's good to have someone that can, kind of take the emotion out of it and be a bit of a counselor and just an emotional resource to you. Now, in your practice, uh, do you have a niche that you serve or is it kind of, you know, wealthy families, you know, executives, former executives, business owners? Is there a niche that you kind of work in or is it um, kind of all comers? Yeah, I mean, uh, naturally, just with a with a firm of our size, you've got a little bit of everything. Just because personal relationships are really what drive it. I mean, we we the primary thing we look for are just good people um, that are 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 nice people that kind of value the the work we're doing. And because I mean, it's a you know, it's something it's people's money. They can get the wrong kind of temperament, and it's just it's not a healthy relationship where we're not as helpful as we could be. And they're not getting all from us <laughs> that they could. So, um, you know, the, the first thing is just that we like each other and it's a good, uh, a good positive relationship that we feel like we can, uh, benefit from. And then the, the, as far as a niche goes, uh, if we've got any kind of niche, it would definitely be business owners, uh, mostly because we've got an expertise in transition planning, um, you know, for people that are, uh, which is happening a lot right now, uh, you know, partially due to the, I think a lot of the success we've had over the past few years is, um, you know, we specialize in helping business owners that are selling their business and then having a, you know, major liquidity event that's equivalent to a retirement um, and needing to figure out, you know, now that they're not taking partnership distributions, they've got a lump sum that's got to last them 
potentially their lives unless they start another business. Um, that that's that's definitely I would say the core of of what we're able to help with on a on a niche market. But but we've got doctors, engineers, uh, business owners, pilots. I mean, you can you name it. Now, in your work, you decided to go independent, but you decided to become part of an independent advisor network. Can you talk about um, the reason behind that and the rationale, as well as the benefits of being part of this larger network? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, to, I guess, be a little bit more specific is, is I kind of am actually trying to create that independent advisor network, uh, you know, where we, we are an independent firm, but these independent advisors have, have been able to bolt on to us for some of those core needs that they need help with. I mean, as we mentioned, you know, it's a, earlier in the call, it's, it's kind of hard for an advisor to wear 18 different hats and be the best, in, <laughs> best planner, best investment advisor, best business owner, everything. Uh, but they, they do want to do right by their clients and have, um, have some help, especially in those two areas of investment management and, and financial planning. So um, we're, we're able to offer that. Um, and these guys, you know, they've got their relationships. They've, we're not forcing them to, you know, act in a certain manner with their clients as far as, you know, selling anything particular to them. I mean, it's, we don't sell anything really. We just help them manage money. So, um, you know, how, how they utilize our resources is up to them. Um, but we just kind of have a, we've created this network of independent advisors now where, um, you know, now we've got uh, six that have joined us on top of the three of us who started the company. And um, yeah, they, it, it's, it's a great relationship because, you know, they've got, they're able to work with their clients in a way that they, that suits them, but they can also know they've got kind of a team behind them when, when times get tough and they've got a research team. So they're not out on an Island, you know, being that end all be all for their clients. Um, but at the same time, they don't have a big bank telling them, you know, to sell these mutual funds. <laughs> so it's kind of hopefully the best of both worlds. So now, um, what was kind of the genesis of that idea to create this network to um, to find, I guess, like-minded people that are, you know, maybe they are on an island and that they need just the sense of community and the idea that there are people kind of working together to, I don't want to say battle against these large behemoths, but people are out there that are kind of living through the same thing. That sense of community just by itself is valuable. Absolutely. I mean, the other, and this is on more of a personal note. I mean, that, that's one of the, um, I mean, I know a lot of people have experienced and we're not unique in this, but the, the heartbreaking thing is we, you know, we kicked this thing off in 2019 and had this awesome year of, you know, just from a social presence and you know, communal presence. And then, you know, deal dealt with the, the reality of COVID like everybody else and had much less of that. So it's been a, been a, a sad thing, but at the same time, having those, you know, calls where we all, uh, are there together and, you know, have big, it's a zoom call instead of all being in the same room together, like it used to be. But, um, you know, just that community of just bouncing ideas back and forth, you know, asking about people's families and how things are going or, you know, how, you know, if they were able to, you know, get that deal closed with a client or whatever it may be, you know, just having someone that understands what you're going through, <laughs> um, you know, maybe a lot of times better than your family would if you're just kind of out on an island. So it's, it's been great, but as far as the need for it is, I mean, or the realization for uh, the need for it is just being one. I mean, I was, I was always, one. you know, when I first started out uh, in college, uh, you know, when I got my first clients and kind of 
found my way into this business on the independent space, I was, um, I got started kind of in an operational role with a, a solo guy. He was a independent financial advisor and it was just him and, and me. <laughs> so he had had a business. He'd been in the business for, uh, you know, 20, 25 years or so. Um, but it was just me helping him, you know, manage his clients and run the business. And we were kind of out on an island. And, you know, I think that was kind of the original genesis of all of this is just realizing that, man, it would be nice if, you know, there were more of us and we could kind of share some economies of uh, scale and, and uh, you know, maybe invest in some more resources as a team together and things like that. And in what ways do you see moving forward that you can um, kind of invest in? What are some of the things you'd like to invest in if you can as the community grows? Yeah, yeah. It's a, so it's kind of a – it winds up being a pretty perfect science, um, believe it or not, you know, as we – as we add the add to the community, as we add to our our network of independent advisors, we yeah, you know what they contribute financially to the to the company basically goes directly into to new resources, which are um, you know the biggest thing that any quality firm needs. I'm a big believer in this is a solid operations team. You know, someone who can really get clients what they need on a uh, just on an operational administrative level. So investing in that we're uh, continuing to invest in our um, investment platform from a headcount standpoint as well you know trying to get people that can uh you know as you start to get from 300 million to 600 million to over a billion dollars in, in asset center management you know really just having the infrastructure to be able to manage that um and make sure that clients are are, are getting all their needs met um and that our strategies are actually get, getting implemented is um, is another place that we're continuing to admit. You know, as the headcount um, grows, you know, we then become servicers to the advisors. So we're we're kind of uh, just continuing to invest in what we can offer almost them as clients in a way. Now, is this something that is only Atlanta based, or are these advisors coming from anywhere? We're pretty new. So uh, currently we've got uh, most of our advisors are in the Atlanta area, not necessarily in, in town, but in, in the Atlanta area. And then uh, we, we our most recent advisor that joined us is actually from North Carolina. So, I mean, it, it's not something that's restricted, but I mean, it, it's one of those things, you know, Southeast presence is definitely where we're headed, at least in the near term, just because, you know, that sense of community, it doesn't have to be every day. A lot of these guys have their home offices, but um, we at the same time want to be able to all get together and you know have our even if it's just on a social level um you know as you mentioned earlier the community is important so um you know we don't want these people to feel like they're out on an island we want them to feel like they're you know even if they're day-to-day in a home office that they've got a team behind them they come in every once in a while maybe to meet with a client in our conference room or um you know have lunch and or do our office events and things like that so so if somebody wants to learn more about your practice, if they're looking for a wealth manager or a financial advisor, or they want, or they are a financial advisor and they're independent and they want to join the network, is there a website? What's the way to kind of learn more about this opportunity? Sure. Yeah. Um, the best best thing to do is, um, is our website is just eastpacesgroup.com. Um, they can got all of our contact info on there and just reach out to me. I mean, uh, you know, we're, uh, you know, we try to, cut through all the the you know the benefits of being independent that's you know smaller businesses 
you can get to me directly. Just, you know, let's get a coffee, um, whether it's a client or an advisor that's looking for um, maybe a, a, a different game plan for their life, then um, we'll, we'll love to just sit and learn more about them and what they're looking for and seeing if we're a good fit. Well, Alex, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing important work and we appreciate you. Yeah, no, I very much appreciate the uh, the time and it was great talking with you. All right, this is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Atlanta Business Radio. 